We turn this morning in the Word of God to Acts 22. Acts 22. It's one of the passages in Scripture that the Heidelberg Catechism is referring to in its explanation of the power and efficacy of baptism. We're going to read the first 16 verses, which is Paul's accounting of his conversion. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground, and I heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We read that far in God's holy word. We consider this morning Lord's Day 26 and part of Lord's Day 27. We're going to consider them together. We'll treat question and answer 74 on its own 
How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee? Thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise, that I am as certainly washed by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. What is it to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely, for the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us by his sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Where? has Christ promised us that he will as certainly wash us by his blood and spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism. In the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where the Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. Why then doth the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus, not without great cause, to wit, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, but especially that by this divine pledge and sign, he may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the subject of this Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 26 and the part of 27 that we consider is about the significance and the meaning of the sacrament of holy baptism. And as we're going to see, the great significance and the meaning derived from that is that baptism is the sign of washing. Washing is the word that's mentioned time and time again. So when we think of that sacrament, we must immediately think of washing. Washing, of course, with water. Now, when the Catechism treats the significance and meaning of baptism as the sign of washing, it guards against two errors. It doesn't simply explain the significance and the meaning of baptism, but it, it does so trying to refute two errors that stand on the opposite sides 
of the truth itself, which is often the case when it comes to the truth. There's usually errors on both sides. The first error that the Catechism refutes and explains is the error wherein we put our faith in the application of the water itself, in the washing itself, in the sign, in what's called the external sign. That's what our baptism form calls custom or superstition. Simply baptizing out of custom or superstition. This is the error that imagines that the real baptism is what we observe, what we see going on in the church, the application of water by the minister and the words that we hear. And even though we call that baptism, we must be aware that that's not the real baptism. It's a sign of the real baptism. And so we may not put our trust in the application of the water itself by the minister or expect that that by itself has power. To do so would be idolatry. It would be idolatry. But there's an error on the other side of the truth, which is, well, if that's the case, if it's the case that the water being applied by the minister and those words being spoken isn't doing anything, then it doesn't really matter. Then it's just a sign, only a sign. There's nothing really going on at all. Nor is there really any connection between the sign and what God does or has done. And over against that error, the Catechism reminds us of the very powerful words that baptism is called the washing away of our sins or the washing of regeneration. Consider with me this morning the sacrament of washing. And we notice, first of all, its significance. And then, secondly, its work. And finally, its assurance. So the significance, and therefore the meaning of baptism, is attached to the fact that it is a sign and seal of washing. Washing. That's the word that ought to reverberate in our ears when we see the sacrament being applied, when we see the water being sprinkled, we must think there's a washing going on. And it's intended to make us immediately think, especially of the washing of our body. That's what the Catechism refers to. We're to think of what's going on as being washed externally with water by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. That's the first thing we should think of. But we can extend that quite a bit. And like many pictures, there's a lot there if you start thinking about it. First of all, think of all the things that we wash. As the Catechism points out, we wash our body. 
Some parts of the body we wash more than others, like our hands. Our hands get very dirty when we work on the car. They get full of grease and grime. We use our hands for a lot of things, so we spend a lot of time washing them. We know that our hands touch germs and get bacteria and other things on them, and we don't want to get sick, so we frequently wash them. All the time we're washing. We do the same thing, though, with our with our body. And, and then think of the different ways that we wash. Some wash by taking a shower or a bath or we go for a dip in the lake. We wash our hair differently than we wash maybe our hands, use different materials to wash them. But think of how often we do that. But we do the same thing with so much else. We, we wash the car. We wash the car frequently. Doesn't matter really how we wash the car. We may wash the car in our garage with a power washer or a garden hose. We may go through a, a car wash and pay some money to have machines do it. But we also wash our clothes. Seems like mothers are always washing clothes. And some clothes, of course, needs more attention than others because we wear it more often. And then the knees require a special attention because the children are crawling across the grass in their pants on their knees. And we're washing dishes. We wash them in the sink. We wash them in the dishwasher. We're always washing things, aren't we? Now what does that tell us? There's a reason why you see one of the sacraments is a sign of washing. That all by itself ought to tell us how important it is that we be washed. It should not surprise us at all Given the fact that we wash dishes and clothes and hands and hair, we're washing, 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 that when it comes to our salvation, that Christ has appointed a sign and seal that's only about washing. And not only that, but it makes it in very simple for us to understand. It's not complicated. When we wash... What are we washing away? And it's always the things that ought not be there. Grease and grime and dirt and filth and stains. They're not supposed to be there. We wash a pair of jeans because they got all grass stains on them. We didn't buy them that way. We want them out. We have a nice white shirt and now it's got a big blotch of red ketchup on it. We want it out of the fabric. Our car gets dirty because there's dirt everywhere, all over the place. It's even in the air so that when it rains, we, we have to wash. And we don't want them that way. That's not the way we purchase them. That's not what looks good. All those things are built into the sign. And then there's this. Consider in the next place, when you wash, you use one universal thing. In every instance, and it's always water. You may add things to the water. You may add detergent and stain remover and all sorts of things. But it's always water. You always wash with water. And so, again, it should not surprise us that the sacrament of washing is all about the application of water. And then the next thing that ought to be taught to us by the sign is it really doesn't matter how the water is applied 
We wash our body by jumping in the shower, a sprinkling. Or sometimes we get into the tub and we give ourselves a good dunking. Sometimes we wash dishes simply by spraying them off. Give them a good rinse, we say. Other times we put them in a dishwater, dishwasher and they get a good scrubbing. They're all washings. And that's why in the Reformed faith we, we really don't care how the water is applied. We, we apply the water here by sprinkling a perfectly legitimate way to baptize. And even the Bible refers to baptism or washing as sprinklings. But we're not opposed either to the practice of many to immerse or dunk. It's perfectly acceptable. It's a washing. That's the key thing. And it has to be a washing with water. That's the substance. That's the important thing. So there you have it. That's how simple the sacrament is. Now, it's a sacrament. And we noted last week that it's a holy sacrament. We call it holy baptism. Scripture calls it that. Why? And that is because it's set apart from every other kind of washing. Even the sign itself is a sign like no other sign. It's set apart. It's unique. So that even when we consider all the other washings and all the other ways we wash and how we do that, what happens at baptism? And the sign and seal of baptism is unique. It is distinct. And, and that's why in the church we are always baptizing, number one, people. It would be completely out of line. And as far as I know, the church has never been tempted to do it, to say, all right, the minister's going to stand up here and he's going to wash him dishes as a sign of your baptism or as a sign of what it represents that's inappropriate. Christ lays out what the sign of baptism it is. The application of water by sprinkling or immersion, doesn't really matter, by an ordained minister to an individual, to a person, on the body of that person, with the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That's holy baptism. These things are what is taught in Scripture. Think about the Scripture's emphasis upon water. In Job 9, verse 30, we read, I wash myself with snow water and make my hands ever so clean. There is the well-known parable of the church and God's salvation of the church. Put this way, I wash thee with water. The church is being pictured there as an unwanted child. A mother who gave birth to a child and just pitched the child in the side of the road. Unwanted. And God comes along and He sees that child still attached to the umbilical cord and says, I washed thee with water. I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee. Significant too that even on the same night in which the Lord instituted His supper, He poured water into a basin 
and washed all of his disciples' feet, at their head, their feet, and made clear that what he was doing had basically the same significance as the sacrament of baptism. It wasn't, but it had the same significance, which is why he had to remind Peter that if he wasn't washed, he would not be clean. The application of water on the body is the sign of the reality that our souls are washed from sin by the application of the blood of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. I should repeat that. What is baptism? A sign of and a seal of. And the answer is very simple. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit takes the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed, and He applies that to the soul of the person that He is saving. It's that simple. When you see the minister, you must think of the Holy Spirit. When you see the water, you must think of the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you see the individual, you must think of an elect person that God has chosen to give to Christ And now the blood of Christ is being applied to their soul. That's question answer 70. What is it to be washed with the blood of Christ? What is it? What does that mean? To be washed with the blood of Christ. It is to receive of God the remission of sins. Notice that. That the individual being baptized... What you have there is the sign that they are receiving the remission of sins. Notice that. Freely for the sake of Christ's blood. Notice there the important distinction that's being made. It's one made frequently in these Lord's days. Between being washed with His blood, when we see baptism and we see the water, The water represents blood. It's the blood that's actually doing the cleansing. But notice, on a number of occasions in these Lord's days, it's also said to be done for the sake of Christ's blood. In other words, why is Christ's blood being applied to the soul of this person? Why is this being done? Is it being done because they're my children and I'm a believer? Is it being done because they are believers, say an adult believer like Paul? Why was Paul baptized? Why was he washed? What's the explanation? And the answer is Christ's blood again. For the sake of Christ's blood their sins are being washed away by His blood. Just notice that little distinction. The blood of Christ is both the agent, the water, the solvent, that's going to dissolve the filth and the grime, but the blood of Jesus Christ is also the explanation for why it has that power. Why is it that Jesus' blood can wash away your sins, but nothing else can? And the answer, because it's His blood, and He shed that blood as payment for sin. Always remember that. 
kind of makes sense, right? If you scrub something away and you ask, well, why are you using the water and why that detergent? You're going to say there's something about that water and that detergent that's able to do that. There's properties in it. There's something special about it. It's built for that task. So is the blood of Christ. Why the blood of Christ and not your blood? Why does it have to be blood? Why does it have to be Christ's blood? And the answer is because only the shedding of that blood, well, we could back it up. He shed that blood in death. And that death was sufficient to pay the penalty of that sin. So remember that. For the sake of Christ's blood. That blood, it should be evident to all in baptism, is not applied by the minister. It's not applied by the church. It's not applied by anybody except the Holy Spirit. The invisible spirit is the one who applies that blood that makes it effective, that makes it to do what it's supposed to do. You don't do that, and I don't do that. And the application of that water to the body is not only a sign, but a seal. A seal of what? A seal of the words that are being spoken. Again, there's nothing magical in the words themselves. The words are being spoken as God's Word, but again, the application of that Word, the reality of it, the difference between simply hearing it with your ears and hearing it with your soul has to do with the work of the Spirit. And the idea is that in sacrament, not only is it up to the Spirit and the work of the Spirit to apply the blood of Christ, but to make it a certainty and assurance, a seal, a guarantee of those words. And this is why, by the way, those words are spoken the way that they are. When the minister says those words, he puts them in the second person. I baptize you. And a name is given. That's what I do. The minister baptizes a certain individual. But how now is that blood applied to the individual? And the answer is by faith. By faith. And faith is personal. So that when it comes to the sacrament and the benefit of the sacrament, the efficacy of the sacrament, it's this. I believe that even as I was baptized with the water, so also I have been washed in the blood of Christ for Christ's sake. That's what faith says. Faith does not look at the sacrament and say, well, what I see is a sign and a seal that has no real power I've seen that sign and seal applied to many, many people, including some my age, who have forsaken the faith, who have left the church, who live wicked and ungodly life. I see that sacrament being applied to many people who supposedly have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they live abominable lives. 
And so I don't really know whether it applies to me. That's not how faith receives the blood of Jesus Christ. It's personal, you see. That's the important thing here. It's just like this. When you get out of the shower, you know one thing for certain. That you just took a shower. That you got out of the shower, you went in the shower dirty, and through the application of soap and water and scrubbing and everything else, you came out clean. And you have no doubt about that. You don't say to yourself, well, I watched one of my children jump in the shower and jump right out, and it didn't really do anything to them, so it, that, that's, that's how it works with me. No, no. No, it's a sign and seal of the application of the promise to me or to you by faith. Remember that. The Spirit works through faith. The Spirit gives us faith, and it's through faith that we receive the application of the blood, and the blood has its efficacy. That's important also to remember. Otherwise, there's no seal there. Otherwise, we look at the sacrament and we say, how can it be a seal? How can it guarantee anything? That, that, that sign is applied to millions of people. It doesn't do anything. And the catechism wants to remind us, don't do that. Don't do that. And if you're prone to do that, remember, such is the sign and the seal that Scriptures are not afraid to call it the washing of regeneration and the washing of sin itself. The scriptures, are quote, the scriptures are being quoted there. Here's another thing we ought to take note of, by the way. Notice the catechism's language when it speaks here. It doesn't say the Scripture. It's quoting Scripture. It's quoting Acts 22.16. It's quoting Titus 3.5. It's quoting a number of passages. But notice it doesn't say what does Scripture say. The question is, what does the Holy Spirit call it that? What does the Holy Spirit say? <clears throat> and then, as a proof that the Holy Spirit is God, the answer is, God speaks thus. Now why am I pointing that out? I'm pointing that out because it's not just what we call the liberals. Those who no longer believe the Scriptures are the Word of God, but believe it's the Word of man that can deny Scriptures. It can also happen to us. It easily happens. When we look at the language of Scripture, we just we dismiss it. We say, well, that's not what it means. As soon as you do that, you ought to at least ask yourself, well, why does the Holy Ghost speak thus? Why did God put it that way? And I'm mentioning that because in the recent doctrinal supposed controversy in our churches, uh, the schism, that has been done frequently. Take Scripture and just simply deny exactly what it says and give it a meaning that is not the meaning of Scripture. That may not be done for any reason, whether you claim to be liberal or conservative. On the right or the left, the Holy Spirit is not a fool, nor is He a false teacher, nor does He say these things to lead astray. And our fathers seize on that. And they say, well, if that's the way he spoke, he spoke that way for a reason. And the reason is very simple. To address that tendency 
to look at the external sign as it's applied to others who all agree are not living according to the sign or haven't received the reality. They're unsaved, they're wicked, they're unregenerate, and say, well, then I have no certainty either. And against that, our fathers say, looking at Scripture, remember it's a matter of faith, and faith is personal. Faith is about you. Faith don't look at anybody else. Faith has the ability to say, I don't care if it was applied to everybody else in my church or denomination. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter that it was applied and none of them believe. They're all unbelievers. They're all wicked. I know one thing. I was baptized. And being baptized, I was baptized with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what faith says. Faith says, I am absolutely certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that the words spoken by the minister were spoken to me. I believe that. Now, the work. How does it work? How, basically, what is the work? That's what we're going to look at now. What, what, is it, what does it mean that baptism is a washing? What's going on? We're, we're looking now at the washing of the car, or the washing of the clothes, or the washing of the dishes, and we're saying, what, what, what exactly is going on now? And, and you can always look at that from a number of point of views. Obviously, it's a washing away of sin. And thus, it has something to do with death. But what exactly is going on? And we can break that down into really two things. Number one, you may look at it as a washing away of sin in the past. It's a sign and seal of something that was done a long time ago in the past that has nothing to do with the present as such. It's a sign and seal that once long ago the Son of God came in His flesh and shed His blood. That much should be obvious. When we wash in a shower or we wash our car or wash our dishes, it's legitimate to ask yourself, where did water come from? What is this thing that we're using to clean with? You can do the same thing with baptism. If blood's being applied, whose blood? And then the question is, is, well, when was that blood shed? And why was it shed? And when it was shed, what happened? And the answer is exactly that in the past, a long time ago, on a cross, a man appointed by God named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, same one who talked to Paul, who was living, born of the Virgin Mary, gave his life voluntarily in perfect obedience to God without any sin whatsoever for one reason and one reason only, because he represented, you and I, all those who are baptized with the Holy Spirit, giving, his de- giving himself to death, his blood was shed, and it's that blood now that washes away my sins. And that blood washed away my sins in the past in two distinct senses. Number one, it paid for the price, the penalty of sin, and in doing so took away my guilt, my responsibility, what I owe. It paid a real debt. Didn't matter that I wasn't born yet. Doesn't matter that I wasn't there. Doesn't matter. None of those things matter. Which is going to come up again with the question, 
why do we baptize infants? Part of the answer is because regardless of whether that child is a believer or not, regardless of whether that child has the Holy Spirit or not, the blood that was shed to wash away our sins was a blood for children, as children. Jesus died for children. And it's a sign and seal of that. In the second place, it's a sign not only that Jesus took away my guilt, what I owe, what's due from me, namely my blood and my life, but it's a sign that Jesus broke the power of sin. That there was now a breaking of the power of sin such that sin has no right to rule over me. You see, sin sin is given a right to rule over us. That right is there by virtue of the fact that we're sinners. We're guilty before God. Take away the guilt. And there's no more right for sin to hold. It's like the bars of a prison, right? If you're in prison, you've been sentenced to prison for five years, and you fulfill the five years, those bars no longer have the right to hold you. Well, that's what Christ did. So, those two things in the past, but the emphasis is upon the present. Baptism is applied in time, and so is the blood of Christ. Anybody wants to dispute that, they're taking issue with baptism. Baptism is a sign and seal that's applied in the present. And it's a sign and seal of the blood of Jesus Christ being applied in the present. To an individual that's actually living, that's there, that's born. When one does justice to the past, one must not minimize or reject the present. It is a real sacrament. There's two aspects of that work that's done in the present. The first is that it represents as a sign and seal of God's present work of regeneration. Question and answer 71 calls it, quote, the washing of regeneration. Notice that. Not simply the washing away of sin, but the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is an aspect of salvation. It's an aspect of the blood of Christ. It belongs to the purging power of the blood of Christ. Notice that. Regeneration. Disrespect or minimize regeneration, and you disrespect or minimize the power of the blood of Christ. It's the work of God giving us a new life. Giving us a life that we did not have before. A life that does not come from Adam and Eve. A life that does not come from human sources. It comes from above. It comes from heaven. It comes from the Holy Spirit who applies the blood of Christ. The idea is, here's blood that comes from Christ who shed His self in death. The blood of a dead man. But He's not dead, is He? He's alive. His Spirit is alive. And so when His Spirit comes to apply that blood, He brings life. This is the idea when the Catechism in question answer 70 says it is to be washed as a renewing by the Holy Ghost. To be washed is also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost. That's from Titus 3, 3 5 there. And what it's talking about is really regeneration and renewing. Why this 
work is God's and why we insist it's God's because it's attached to the sacrament. It's attached to the blood of Christ. We can no more regenerate ourselves than we can apply the blood of Jesus Christ to ourselves. One of the reasons we insist that it's applied by what the Holy Spirit does, why what God does, is because how in the world are you going to access that blood of Christ? How are you going to receive it? How does it get to you? With water, it's real easy. Turn on the tap and here it comes. How does that blood of Christ get to you? The answer is by faith. There's the instrument. Now who brings it? How does it get there? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. And that's all part of regeneration and why we insist it's the work of God. There's a second aspect to it, closely related. And if you understand, the main distinction has to do with the fact that we, we believe regeneration only happens once. Here is, here is the greatness of the sign. When you look at the sign and you think about all the examples, one of the things that strikes you as we wash things over and over and over and over again. But baptism is applied only once. Our fathers are even insistent on that. Go look at the Belgic Confession. The Belgic Confession rails on the rebaptizers. That was the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists looked at a child's baptism and they said, that's not valid. You may baptize a child. That's wrong. That doesn't count. So they rebaptized. And the Reformed Fathers said, uh-uh, no, we reject that. Not only do we take issue with the fact that you refuse to baptize a child, which is a new thing, the church has always baptized children, just like it always circumcised children. But another problem is you're rebaptizing, and it may only be done once. Well, that's especially the sign of regeneration. It only occurs once. You're only born again once. And the church has always recognized that it's a wonderful part of the sign. And then when you look at the sign again, you say, that's an amazing sign actually. It's an amazing thing that my sins are washed away once. Because nothing else gets washed once. You don't wash your body once, and the, the dishes once, and the, and the laundry once. And the same thing is true of baptism. There is a continual application of baptism. We distinguish between the application of the water itself, the baptism itself, but the Reformed Fathers always talk about baptism availing us throughout our whole life. In other words, what we receive then has a certain continual power. There's a continual agitation that's going on. A continual application of the blood that happens again and again and again and again and again. And that is emphasized in Scripture. Make no mistake. That's why we're taught to pray, Lord, forgive my sins. Well, I thought your sins were already forgiven. What are you praying for that for? Well, Jesus taught us to. Why did Jesus do that? Was Jesus saying my blood wasn't powerful enough to do it once? Was Jesus denying His own perfect sacrifice when He taught us that? Nonsense. So there's a second aspect to the work. We call it sanctification. And you may think of sanctification simply as the continual application of the blood of Jesus Christ to scrub away the sins that remain. Jesus broke the power of sin. Jesus paid the penalty of sin. Sin no longer has the right to you, but it's still there. Just like when a mother cleans off the clothes of her children, sets them outside, and they go, come back, they're all dirty again. That's sort of like us. 
doesn't mean the detergent's bad and the water's bad or the blood didn't do anything. It means we got a fountain of sin that's always bubbling out, creating dirt and crime, and that's how we think of it. And so there's an application of that blood over and over again. And that's really what goes on when we witness baptism. We don't say we're going to have the bat- we're going to have a baptism today. You all stay home because you're already baptized, but oh no, you're all going to come here. You're going to witness this. And what should be going on when baptism is going on is I'm so thankful that the Lord is baptizing this child or that person, which we are, but we should be reflecting on the fact that we also were once baptized. You you see there's something about the application of water and a washing that is a part of the sign that we forget about, and that is it's invigorating. It's refreshing. Do you ever have that? Come home after a hard day of work, bone-tired, sweaty, grimy, filthy, and you jump in the shower, you take a shower, you come out, you feel fresh, you feel invigorated, you feel ready to go. That's the same thing with a sign. There's a fresh application of the blood of Jesus Christ, as it were, to my, my soul. My soul recognizes and believes without a shadow of doubt. My sins were forgiven. They're all forgiven. On the other hand, there they are. I sinned again today. I sinned today against my wife and my children. And so faith goes right to the cross, remembers one's baptism, remembers the application of the blood, and, and there's a washing there. There's a washing that goes on. And there's a, an enlivening and enfreshing. That's the idea of the catechism here. That's the idea of the Belgian Confession when it talks about it availing us our whole life. Now, that's how we're assured too. Remember that it's a sign and a seal. It's there for a reason. It's there to assure us. It's a sign and seal that God gave us exactly because of our sin and our weakness. Exactly because of our sin, our weakness, our failures. Our faith is always tempted. We become worn and weary out and, and, and so that sign was given, even though it was given to you as a baby, even though you may not remember it. As an adult, perhaps you would. You, of course, would remember that. But the point is, it's, it still has efficacy. That's the whole thing. It's not done in a moment, as it were. Just like regeneration. <laughs> God's work of regeneration and sanctification aren't really two completely separate works. <clears throat> They're one work. His work of salvation. He only regenerated once, but now that regeneration is working. It has power. And that power goes throughout one's life, just like when you're born. You're born once. But now the effect of that birth is the effect of your whole life. It's the working out of that life. And baptism is the same way. It's applied once, and there's effect. And that effect is assurance. There's an assurance that's brought again and again and again and again. And even brought in that unique way that only a sign and seal can work. You're not really hearing anything different in baptism. You're not seeing anything different. It's the same thing that you hear in the Word of God, but exactly because we could become weak and stubborn and resistant that God says here, I'm going to have the sacrament again here so you can see it. You can hear it with your ears and you can, you can think about it. Why? Because God wants us to be assured of that. Notice that. God wants us to be assured of that. If God wanted us to be in doubt, He wouldn't give us sacraments. He gave that to us so that we may be assured, so that we may know without a shadow of a doubt 
that I have been baptized, not just with water, not just by Reverend so-and-so, not just here, not just there, not just when, but I've been baptized by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the comfort of the catechism. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word, Thy Word of truth, for the truth that has been spoken concerning the sacrament of baptism. And we pray, Lord, for faith, faith that believes, that believes the same Lord in heaven is the same Lord who shed His blood and shed that blood for me. Apply, O Lord, that Word by Thy mighty Holy Spirit to our lives and to our conscience so that we may lead a peaceful and we may live godly and comfortable lives before thy face without fear or terror. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.